Welcome to the Pilots and Petards podcast, the podcast with nothing much ado about aircrafts and potentially everything ado with first episodes of a filmic series. I'm Mo, and joining us as always are co-hoisters Drew and Jimbo. For folks new to the show, disclaimer, petard is absolutely non-discriminatory, and it is a real word. Petards are explosive devices usually used to take out a door or wall. Thank you, Jimbo. And to be hoisted on a petard is to be hurt or destroyed by one's own plot or device intended for another. So in Eagle Point terms, to be blown up by one's own bomb. And here at Pilots and Petards Podcast, we watch television pilots or the first episode of a series, and we make critical judgments. We decide whether these pilots are awesome and deserve a watch or a rewatch of the preceding series, or we hoist these pilots on their own petards. To hoist or not to hoist Jimbo, that is the question. Join us today as we cast judgment and determine if the intense cop drama, The Shield, will be hoisted or not hoisted. That is the question. So today's episode was requested by Dilly Dilly. Dilly Dilly, if you're out there and still listening to us, Holub, we are curious who you are and we would like to get in touch. And Dilly Dilly requested The Shield. I randomly started watching it with my neighbors and we would just drink on like a Tuesday or Thursday night before we went out to the bar and they were watching Shield one night and I got hooked from there. I probably watched all four seasons in like a couple weeks. And so I was a religious watcher from that point on every, every week I was watching the shield and I binge watched the first few seasons multiple times. Wow. So I'm, I'm very familiar with the shield and I was very excited to do this episode today. Did you said you saw it like midway through the first season and you got hooked from there? No, I, I got hooked in season four. So I, so I was, but I, but I caught up to season four, like probably in a few weeks. Wow. It, they didn't have spoilers? You know, it, it was really easy to just jump into season four. There, there's a lot going on in season four. That's probably one of the best seasons, actually. What's your background, Mo? Go. I've never seen it, but I remember watching the Emmys and the actor who plays the main character, Vic. Michael Chiklis. Yeah, I think he won it many times. But no, never, never watched it. Drew, what's your background? Mo, you're you are an award show watcher because last night we were talking about the show and you were excited about Emmys? The Grammys. Nice. Beyonce was there. They were filmed in New York, so like her energy was really close to me. Well, I hope it rubbed off. It definitely did. To this podcast. She is a force field. Yeah. <laughs> we we got the Beyonce bump. We're feeling it now. Yep. We're gonna go north of sixty-five subscribers this week. <laughs> Actually, yeah. we, we have we have been Hell flirting yeah. with high seventies and eighty. If anyone's keeping track, <laughs> it said fifty-nine today. No, it did not. Dude, we <laughs> lost like twenty people. If that's the case, man, that that's bad news. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, how about you, Drew? What's your background? So my background is actually um, I put this show on my Peace Corps external hard drive as a show to binge watch while sitting in my house and it being way too hot outside. And I made a fatal error because I only downloaded four seasons. Rookie move. I know. It was a total rookie move. (laughs) Yeah. And as Jimbo pointed out, season four shit jumps off before season four is cool. Season four is no joke, man. After season four is so intense too. So I actually found the closest volunteer who had this show on their hard drive. And we met up in Mashish, and I had no regrets about taking that trip. I was like, but I was all about business. 
I was like, you brought your hard drive, right? And like Mark had a good one. I can't even imagine. We'll get into that. We sure will. 60 second summary or less. An extremely crooked and effective cop, Vic Mackey, is the man around the precinct. He punks anyone who gets in his way, including the captain, Aceveda, and the cocky detective, Dutch. Mackey uses excessive force, steals money, cheats on his wife, takes care of a prostitute and her son, solves a missing child case, and kills his newest member of his strike team, who was a rat. Mackey is not a good cop or a good person, but it is clear that he gets the job done. And unless I missed anything, Mo is going to take us into high points. Thanks, Jimbo. I really did enjoy this pilot, and I had a lot of high points. Going off your your summary, though, it you would be surprised that the females in this show were actually quite strong. I know our, our listeners don't like when we don't know their names, right? Certain ones. Certain ones. Whatever. Yeah, that's <laughs> who they are. Johnny. <laughs> okay, so Danny, she had a good presence. Dutch, the cocky detective, nerd, just got left from his wife, but thirsty as fuck. I forgot her name already. <laughs> Danny. Danny. There are a lot of characters in this episode. <laughs> There's so many, and they're all great, but all the women, really, I was impressed. Danny's trying to go on this blind date and totally burns Dutch by telling him she has this blind date when he tries to ask her out finally because he's a pussy and can't ask her. And I loved that scene when she's she like puts her gun away as she's about to answer the door for her blind date. She opens the door and sees her blind date. I don't know what triggered her about him, but she just goes back and gets her gun and puts it in her purse. So many feelings. Like I just thought that was so badass that she just casually doesn't trust at no man. Trust no man. Exactly, Mo. It's a rando. It's just some dude. And she's like, this is some dude who could still be like a schizo rapist. So let me get my gun. I thought that was the point. It was like, it's some bro, but she's like, I need to have a gun. If he would have been tall, dark, and handsome, she would have left that gun right where she put it, dude. She she grabbed the gun because that dude was not good looking. <laughs> he looked creepy. He had a creepy <laughs> look. I thought he just looked like a, I thought he looked like a LA, like early 2000s bro. She's judging a book by its cover, but no, it's badass that like she just pops a gun in her purse, but it's maybe yeah. interesting why she puts it in her purse. <laughs> yeah, it was powerful, was but also movie. like, dang girl, somebody hurt you. You know, I don't, I don't know. I feel like she's gone played before. She probably thought that guy looked like Dutch. She's like, this guy looks like <laughs> Dutch. I better grab my gun. You know, she was kind of into Dutch though. And I was like, your Dutch isn't good enough for you. I'm, I'm going to do my best to not talk about stuff that happens in the future. But uh, Mo, I mean, you definitely noticed that Mackie's banging Danny, right? Yes. That wasn't subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Which was also power to her for being like, actually, I don't want to be your side chick anymore. I'm going on a blind date and bringing my gun. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's a high point. Yeah. High high point for Danny. And then Cla- Claudette, you said? Claudette. Uh-huh. Everything that came out of that woman's mouth was just like straight up truth. Like she just knew it all. And she put everyone in their fucking place. Very much really some MVP. Strong character. And spoiler listeners claudette is my mvp so i think we we can save her for now yeah okay 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 so just strong female characters for me all around yes and there were strong female characters so for my high point i'm gonna say it kind of it kind of builds off the female excuse me it kind of builds off the female characters as well there's complex characters in this show it's not just the females julian the african-american cop 
he's he's a complex character. He's he's new to the force, and he gets developed a lot more further on. But even even some of the side characters we meet are fairly complex, and uh, yeah. So I so I appreciated having complex characters, Captain Aceveda, even the the characters in Mackie's team as well. That was one of my high points. I, I mean, I, I have a lot of high points as well, but I, I feel like the complex characters nostalgia boner. is definitely one of them. It's your turn, Jimbo. It's your turn to have oh, a nostalgia boner. I did. I had a nostalgia <laughs> boner, man, big time. I, yeah, right off the bat, the, you know, the da 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 da. That right there just gets me hard. <laughs> now who's singing theme songs, Jimbo? Hey, notice how, notice it took me three seconds to do my theme song. Oh, the theme song of The Shield is three seconds, so I would say we are both guilty of singing theme songs to the full length of... I'm going to disagree with that one, but... I mean, it, it needs at least a good 10 seconds to... Yeah, give us a good 10 seconds of the theme song, Jimbo. That's not my thing. That's Drew's thing. And if we ever watch The Quantum Leap, we'll, unfortunately, <laughs> we'll probably get it. Oh, hell yeah, because The Quantum <laughs> Leap theme song is epic! Oh. Okay, do we have do we have any comments about the complex characters? Can we just agree on that one and move on then? I agree. I think the only thing I'll say, and you know, this might even be a little revealing to my rewatch appeal, but um, I'll say I have a nostalgia boner as well because I think what Jimbo is seeing is Jimbo. There is I don't think there's any character development really given to Mackie's supporting cast, but I think what happens over the course of those six seasons is they all become like little stars. Like they are such compelling parts of the show that you don't even see in the first episode. Cause you're like, man, like what's going on? Who are these dudes? Like they're kind of important, but Crowley, like the rat is set up as the most important guy. So when he dies, you're like shit. But by the end of the show, like the supporting cast and those guys are just like, it's so intense, especially with like Vix number two, the guy who's in the bathroom and watches him do it. Yeah. So like by the end of the show, it's so insane how in depth you've gotten with those small side supporting characters. I think maybe that's part of my hype, or I think that's what I would comment on for Jimbo's. Lim is kind of there, like he's he's the dude that's that's listening to the music while they're about to do their raid, and that's that's a very subtle like character development. But like you you can tell he's younger, he's more of that Metallica listener type dude, and he's just there jamming up. Like he is so psyched to just go and kick ass. You're right. J- Lem gets that moment. You're right. And just to talk about Aceveda's character, just within 40 minutes of the pilot, how he comes off as this hard ass, cocky poster boy. And I think Vic calls him that at one point. And so he kind of annoyed me the way he was like trying to step up to Vic. And I'm like, Vic's just doing his job, like leave him alone. But then as he like, when he called Vic to do that torture scene at the end, I feel like that was like a, within 40 minutes, he just did like this breaking bad transition in my opinion. Yeah, if if you decide to, to continue with this show, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, they already made him so compelling. Just in, like, just build it off what you said. Oh, Aceveda has an arc. Oh, oh, Aceveda stuff gets so much crazier. Does they just say that? Answer me that. Does oh, he break yes. bad? Okay. Oh, for sure. Yeah, everyone in the okay. everyone does. Even Claudette? Everyone yeah. does, unfortunately. Spoiler. Mo, everyone who's ever watched The Shield all the way through laughed real hard when you were like, how bad does it get for Aceveda? Like, what happens to Aceveda? Great <laughs> shit goes down with Aceveda. I mean, and- just from, like, at the beginning, I thought, I really genuinely thought he was trying to get rid of a 
a bad cop and a dirty cop and just be this great crime solver, like mayor. What is he? Not mayor, chief of police, whatever he is. I really genuinely thought that this is his like barrio and he wants to like protect it. But then he went up and tortured that pedophile. But then again, like I would, I would have done it. Crowley. He calls him out on it when they're discussing the, the terms if he rats out on, on Vic. Crowley calls him out. Crowley can see through it. And that's, and that's the first hint that, that Aceveda is a future politician. And, he, and I think he does kind of play the role as the politician. But when it comes down to the end of the day, like he wants to do the right thing for, you know, to save the child. And I think that's the interesting thing about these complex characters, too, is they all have disagreements. They all have different morals. They all have different judgments. At the end of the day, they all want to save that girl. And that was a good storyline to get everybody like rooting for all everyone. Like you root for everyone. That's a good point, Mo. That's a good pilot move. It is a good pilot move. Who doesn't want to save this poor little girl? Drew, high points? So I kind of had like a hybrid high point. I think two things that worked well together to kind of really suck you into the show was I think there was some, I think it was very cool. There's non-glamorized police work. Like there was a lot of like paperwork and there was a lot of like desks and a bullpen and like the bathroom was broken and you know, your boss was kind of giving you shit and you don't get along with everyone you work with. So I thought that was very interesting and people had to get buzzed in the door and then also, I think there was an intentional edit or an intentional move made because there was a lot of choppy handheld, like especially when you were in the bullpen and it was like Vic disagreeing with someone like the camera would swing around really, um, you know, kind of unprofessionally like a reality show. It definitely wasn't it definitely wasn't on a still cam. It was more of a handheld shot. And so I thought that that was cool because it kind of made you feel like you were seeing something you weren't supposed to see. Or you were inside someone else's world. So I thought it was a very subtle thing to do that kind of blended that line between reality television edit and gritty TV drama. Yeah, that's a good point. I I didn't notice that until you pointed that out, but you're totally right. Arrested Development was kind of Mm -hmm. famous for being the very first show to really get into handheld and to really use it to comedic effect or for like storytelling purposes. I'm pretty sure I don't want to say it after last week, but I'm pretty sure Arrested Development came before The Shield. Should I do a quick fact check? Let's do it. I bet it did. Go ahead, fact check. Because we don't want to hope Wonder Falls. Yeah. My name is Earl Imbroglio. No, that was, yeah, that was embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Bourne movies also had that same kind of effect. I'm not going to date that as well, but it's it's about the same time as uh, Drew. Oh, Drew it's was a close. Saying. Can I? But I, you know, but I completely agree. It's it 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 was really well done as far as having those those shaky scenes, and you kind of puts you as a viewer more into what's going on, kind of reality type tv like like if you were watching cops and then also to to piggyback off drew's comment about the the just everyday work that was going on at the police office like that was great as well you know there's a lot of little things and you can kind of get a little or even julian's character julian's character is not doing anything interesting no other cop show is going to take you through julian's day but it really works in, in that pilot episode which one was julian uh, he was the black rookie cop who was with Danny. Oh, okay. He's the one that has to go and like figure out a domestic you know, dispute. Did, yeah. And it's not even an interesting one. Like it's like, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, like they make it interesting, but it's just like just mundane. Okay. These two idiots broke up and now someone's jealous. That's the non-glamorous police work too. 
Exactly. No, yeah, that that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's realistic. And when shows are too many action shots after another, it gets boring. But even even hospital dramas like that too, you're like, wow, yeah. that's a really intense ER. I wonder if they're going to have a really interesting case again this week. Like, I see that too. That does bug me. Um, Wait, okay, so I found out. So th- it's actually really close, Drew. Arrested Development was released in November <laughs> 2nd, 2003. Yeah. Why are you laughing? Because it's like by months. There's no way <laughs> one show is influential on the other. Months. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, March 12th, 2002. So actually, The Shield was first. Shield did it first. Copycats. But barely. I remember, maybe I remember noticing it in Arrested Development. Wow, The Shield came out in 2002. Yeah, very... I thought it was like 2005 or something. Because I started watching S.H.I.E.L.D. in probably 2005 or 2006, that, that college year. Look, look at the amount of research <laughs> the Pilots and Petards podcast puts in every week, yeah. listeners. Gotta get our facts we don't straight. mess around. On-the-spot research, getting done. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Was the fact that this was filmed in Los Angeles. Uh, you want to... Should we talk about it now? And- um, No. Because it's gonna, gonna, it's probably gonna end up like Drew's uh, North Carolina throwback. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That came back around on us too, because someone was like, "It's in Massachusetts, you dumbasses." <laughs> no, but that definitely was LA, because I that scene where. No, that is LA. There's no confusing that. Crowley was talking to when he was getting him to be on his side and go to the to justice or whatever. He was like luring him with whatever kinds of accolades that he can provide him after he sells out Maggie. That was Echo Park thinking about his family in that scene when they're jumping around in the pool. And I'm, I'm wondering where in LA that was. Well, obviously a nice white neighborhood. I know, but where, maybe the Valley. I feel like it was the Valley listeners. If anyone knows listeners, there's plenty more high points that we could have talked about, but I think for time purposes, we're going to jump into low points and I'm going to start us off with the pedophile interrogations. I felt like those were kind of like what we talked about last year, this pop culture psychology. Well, we got some pop culture police interrogations in the shield and they were with the pedophile suspects. And that's, that's just a legit low point. Those, those scenes were kind of lame. What Mo, what do you think? They were uncomfortable. Dutch is giving this mental analysis of what's going on in all these types of pedophiles. So I never even knew that there was types of pedophiles and even the two were two different kinds. Did you pick up on that? Somewhat. Dutch is a super nerd. His like psych psychology jargon. But I'm in, I mean, I was a psych major, so I was into it. I was like, Oh, ew. So that was creepy. Just thinking about it. Just, I hate it. I just hated that people do that. Cause I know what happens and I didn't, it was too raw and gross and real and and sad to be honest more than just convenient well was it manipulative because here's my thing like it's going to come in as a low point for another reason like yes i understand that all art is emotionally manipulative that's what makes it art but was this expedient storytelling to do what to do what most said which is to get everyone on the same side so we like everyone did they take something that while they didn't necessarily do the best job like being factual about it, like maybe there's just some expedient storytelling because what I noticed was they found the daughter by listening to a guy who killed his wife while on crack who kind of remembered this other guy that he trades people with who also then fingered this other pedophile who we didn't believe. Like we believed the first pedophile but not the second one and 
I guess maybe we believe the second one because it's narratively convenient. Or Dutch just like has his psyches on. He understands the psyches so well that he can just know. Because that's really kind of part of the job. Well, that's a crazy part of the job. It's like some of the podcasts about wrongfully imprisoned people and wrongfully convicted people. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes from like some detectives who are real sure they're right. Yeah. And then like DNA evidence is like, no, my friend. So, I mean, that's a, that's gotta be tough. Like, I mean, to go into that room and like try and be so sure of yourself that's or true. so sure of something that you make someone admit to it. It's intense. I would say, I would say the emotional pill. I would call that a high point. I would say the fact that the audience cares so much about that scene, that's that that's a high point for yeah. for uh, the pilot. But but the fact that this this whole case begins on the testimony of a dude that's just out of his mind, junkie. For one, he is so unreliable, and that's why Dutch has to has to interrogate this one guy because we have no idea if this guy is it or not. And then the fact that he just gives up someone else. And then we ac- accept that. So I think like we're like it's like that snowball effect of just we're accepting it as a viewer because we're seeing it in front of us. But that's I I would say those just came off as kind of lame interrogations, super cliche, which doesn't fit the rest of the show because the rest of the show is doing a lot more as far as making mundane work exciting, and you know having the dynamics of the different characters. And to me, so like that, like pop culture, just cliche, like stereotypical from every other law and crime show. You weren't buying it. That was, I mean, that was my like legit low point. Yeah. And then we're just going to accept these unreliable people and just come to the conclusion that the last interrogation, like this guy, that's actually maybe a more credible character. This guy has a job. He's dressed like a decent person. Yeah. They got, they grabbed like a creepy actor to play him. But other than that, like this guy is a very believable person. Yeah, I mean, he's framed in a certain way that, like, yes, we want him to, like, be the bad guy. But then in another way, like, what what would an innocent person say? I want a lawyer. The mood lighting and the actor, and we are very much led to believe this is the guy. So, yeah, and that was, and, and I would say for, for Drew's comment, that was very expedient storytelling. And it worked, it worked, to be honest. I wasn't thinking about the stuff that we're talking about right now while I was watching. While I was watching, I was like, hell yeah, got him. But then looking back in hindsight, you're like, come on, really? I'll talk about it in my dangling threads. But something about like that started to like pull the ball of yarn for me. And once I started to pull it, I was like, dude, like this starts with like the cracked out guy killing his wife and then kind of remembering what he did next. Can I can I bring up another low point that's kind of related? Yeah, my, my low point was basically Jimbo's for a different reason. So we have low point space. Jogging my memory now, but even the scene where they find the dead girl who ended up being his wife and how her sister is so upset that she found out her sister's been murdered and then she gets on her knees and it looks like she's blowing Dutch and everyone thinks it's funny. I thought I thought that was really distasteful. I blocked it out of my memory because I'm like, really, y'all? Like... I mean, I guess they're all desensitized to murder and dead bodies, but that's like really, that's really sad for that poor woman. That's cop life. I thought that was supposed to paint the cops in a bad light because like they're being dicks. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they're desensitized. Yeah. But I mean, I think that's how you're supposed to feel. Like funny? No. No. Like that you're like, oh my God, like, (laughs) why are they doing that? That's fucked up. 
I mean, I think I think that's supposed to show you that they see fucked up shit all the time, and that like I'm not excusing that stuff. I mean, I, I wouldn't excuse that behavior if I saw it, because like I'm about to excuse it, but go ahead. Well, no, but I mean, I'm saying that like my personal sensibilities aren't those though. Like, no, I don't serious. see terrible, fucked up, insane shit every day. So, I mean, my sensibilities are different. That is real life. That's how cops talk and think, and they joke about fucked up shit all the time, because. That's one way to cope with it. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that was a high point as well. I'm not saying it's cool to make jokes about a, yeah. a crying victim that looks like she's blowing a dude. But you know what? If you're a cop, that's funny and that's fine. If you could have an honest conversation with most cops, they would tell you something yeah. similar to that. They would tell you about joking about about a crime scene where someone was just killed. I just felt sad. Yeah, Mo, I think... I think I accept it as an artistic choice. I think it's an unfortunate thing, but I also feel like that wasn't right. I feel like there was a point to that scene, you know, and the point was we were being introduced to this because that was very early on in the show. And I think that was a tone setter to be like, you know, this isn't like the idealistic cop drama where everyone is like Captain America 24 seven. This is more like, wow, you see fucked up shit like this every day. And eventually it's going to mess with you. And I feel like a lot of people were imperfect and especially like Vic, the protagonist, but he's definitely like not a hero of the story. He's an asshole. Uh, 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 jump of the gun here, buddy. Let's save that one. All right. Okay. Well, you know what? That's fine. You're right. I think we're good on low points. Mo, did we get your low point in there? I was kind of dancing around another one, but after talking about that scene, I, cause I'm like, Dutch is just trying to save this girl from being sold into sex trafficking. Everyone just needs to like be on his side right now. No, dude. Dutch is a super dude, bro, man. Dutch is a DB dude, bro. I don't feel bad for Dutch <laughs> at all. Dude, bro? Yes. Yeah, Dutch makes some moves. Bro. I'll come back to my MVP. Okay. Yeah. We'll come back to Dutch, the old, the old Dutchster. And now a word from our sponsors. Do you love takeout but hate being wasteful? Tired of the growing stack of takeout containers that you know will never be recycled? Do you feel guilty about all the carbon emissions from your delivery drivers? Here at Bayeco Takeout, we have the world's finest suspended cyclists cycling your favorite takeout in the most guilt-free and sustainable manner. Our suspended cyclists eat 100% organic diets, ride 100% sustainable carbon fiber frames, and always inject non-GMO EPO. So next time you call for takeout, call 1-800-BAYECOSI or go to buyecotakeout.com for ethical takeout delivery. And don't forget to find our app, Bayecotake. And enter the code PETARDS for 20% off your first order. Let them know we sent you. Join us as we save the planet one takeout at a time. All right, welcome back, viewers. So don't be afraid to test out a little buy eco takeout, you know? It's a, it's a good way to enjoy some nasty food. And now we're going to move <laughs> into Crabman Award. So I think we're going to have a consensus on our Crabman. Yeah. And I'm just going to throw it out there because I'm already talking. Lamar and viewers, listeners, and <laughs> listeners, if you do not remember Lamar, Lamar is the dude that slashes his ex-girl's tires and then he gets arrested. Mo. I just wanted to defend Lamar. I wanted to add to Lamar's story and remind our listeners that he gave that, that woman $1,500 down payment for that car. Yes. Yes. Legally, if he if he could get his hands on a decent lawyer, I feel like he has a case. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to throw that in there, Jimbo. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, this this is Lamar's time. And I think, and Drew, go, go ahead. I have I have another comment. About- I have lots of things to say about Lamar. Like, he, Lamar is one of my most favorite things in the world because <laughs> Lamar is reasonable. Like, that's what Lamar is, man. I bet you Lamar's friends like him a lot because the cops show up and they're like, hey, <laughs> we want to talk to you about this. He's like, yeah, I did that. And the cops are shocked. They're like, you did? Like, like they're used to people lying to them all day. And Lamar's just like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I did do it. Exactly. Exactly. Lamar's like, this is how it is. And I'm cool with that. And then Lamar goes to like get booked in prison. And like, you know, Lamar just has some honest questions. He's like, well, why don't you tell me about this? And that's really cool. It's good to ask questions. Good job, Lamar. And then and then the cop is trying to tell Lamar how to live his life. And Lamar's like, hey, don't fucking judge me. Yeah. Lamar just seems like really reasonable. Like if Lamar had a superpower, it would be reasonability because it seems like he's just kind of calm. I like Lamar. I like Lamar too. And the reason he is my crab man is because he's just keeping it real, man. He's, he doesn't even try and lie. He's like, hell yeah, I did. And in fact, he thinks what he did was so reasonable, Drew, that he doesn't even think he's going to get arrested. He's like, hell yeah, I did. She owes me 1500 bucks, so I slashed those tires. That's got to be close to 1500 bucks. Like that all just, it all equals out in his mind. He's not even considering the fact that these cops are going to have a totally different perspe- perspective on what happened and throw his ass in jail. But we should have Lamar's perspective. His is the best perspective. <laughs> oh, for sure. Sure of his righteousness. I like that. Mo, speak on. He got played, he, he got did dirty. I really thought that um, Danny and... What's the rookie cop? Rookie cop's name? Julian. 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 I I thought they would have sympathized with him. I really was. I thought they would. They can't, dude. Really can't. They it's can't. Like they can't sympathize thing. with him. I was upset when when they were just collecting his chains and all his jewelry, and Julian's just like explaining to him how much bail is, and I'm just like, no, Lamar was just being honest, reasonable, and very matter of fact, and he could probably he could probably present his own case in jail. Or in, I'm sorry, in front of a judge. Lamar could make bail if he had the $1,500 that she owed him. And then he wouldn't have to slash the tires. And then Lamar would be sitting at his house with like $1,500 to do with as he pleases. Ew, and I hated his ex-girlfriend. She was dumb. There's some weird stuff going on with that dude. I was like, how am I supposed to feel about you? Like, what stereotype is this? I don't get it. It was gross. Can Can I just hint at a spoiler? Is it like a really big spoiler? Uh... It's okay. Listeners. Is it about Lamar? If you're interested at all in Lamar, we have not seen the last of Lamar. Oh. Lamar comes back, okay? What? So keep what? keep watching on Wait. to get some more Lamar. And it's it's good stuff. It's good quality stuff. It's justice served for Lamar. Oh my god, my my watcher rewatch has changed <laughs> drastically in this moment. Just answer me that. I don't even care. Is he, is justice served for him? I wanna know. No, don't answer her that. I want to rewatch now. Do the right thing, Jabo. You watched it, Drew. He doesn't remember. He doesn't remember. That's the first episode. <laughs> I can't remember. I'm going to rewatch because I can't remember. And listeners, in case you missed it, I've watched season one probably four or five times. <laughs> because every every year I rewatched all the S.H.I.E.L.D. as I was waiting for the new episodes to come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jimbo, I did that with the Harry Potter books. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Same Z's. Same Z's. Rude. Okay, so... Do we do we have any objections to giving Lamar the crab man? Uh, absolutely not. No. The Lamar to the crab man is the Joey to the MVP. Yep. By far the most unanimous of of our time. Yeah. So I agree. 
All right. I guess on the Mount Rushmore of, of pilots and petards, we could put like <laughs> Joey Potter and Lamar. Yeah, that's true. And I hope he gets a tweet, man, to let him know that, that he, in fact, you know, I looked the dude's name up. I can't remember it, but whatever. It's okay. I'm going to find him. Yeah, I'm going to find him. I am. I've been trying hard. Rufio liked one of our tweets. So thanks, Rufio. Rufio. Yeah. Rufio from, 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 from Hook. Yeah. Was he in a show that I didn't watch? He was on the second episode of Wonder Years, which I was live tweeting. So you had to, you really got to be in the deep cut <laughs> following us. <laughs> Miss the Rufio actor liking a picture of himself that I posted. I mean, our Wi Fi password is Rufio, Rufio. Right. Well, now they, everyone knows it. <laughs> yes, next, they do. Next time, next time I'm on Fifth Street, you know, get me some free Wi Fi. <laughs> anyway. Back to Lamar because he deserves every moment of the crap this crab bad segment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know So by unanimous decision, the Crabman Award for the pilot episode of The Shield is going to Lamar. Ding ding ding. I want like a crab sound. How how close are we to renaming this the Lamar Crabman Award? No? Wow. Okay. <laughs> He's a strong no, crab man. I I don't know about that. You know what? You're right. He's a strong crab man, and we know what a crab man is. Okay, cool. I'm cool with that. I don't ever remember anyone calling the Cy Young Award the Roger Cy Young Award, so I'm going to have to disagree. Baseball sucks. Yeah, I don't know who that is. (laughs) Yeah, over your guys' head. (laughs) Shrek, Breath, and Honest John will know that one. We got to come do it eventually, and Jimbo, you're popping over here because I know you want to talk about it, so tell us all of your feelings and all of your reactions and... You know, just let it fly for Claudette. Tell us about your MVP. So Claudette is my MVP. She's not only a strong woman character, she's the strongest character in this show. As Mo mentioned earlier, she keeps it real, man. She's Anytime someone asks her a question, she gives a true answer. She doesn't bullshit about anything. Aceveda asks about what, like how she feels about Mackie, and she says, I don't judge cops. And then she she even makes a comment about like most people don't care if you if you rough up a Mexican or an African American she doesn't use those words she's like no one gives a shit if crime is down like people are happy she does a lot to give us the real dynamic of what's going on and you know she doesn't kiss Dutch's ass either when Dutch is <laughs> you know when Dutch is crying about he has a someone shit in his desk she's like. Yeah, man, you get too cocky, dude. Someone puts shit in your desk. Like that's like she's like that donkey in uh the animal farm. She just knows. Like she's not gonna waste anyone's time. Like yeah, you know, there's a new captain in town, but nothing's changed. Like I've been around. I've seen all this shit. Jimbo, do you think that because when Claudette gets home, a dog greets her, she is the one who in fact put the shit in Dutch's <gasps> desk? Because I had a strong suspicion. Oh. Yes, I actually think it was her because Acevedo he calls her out and. She, Yes, of course it was Claudette, man. <laughs> what? I did not even realize that. You really think so? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I think I that's kind of the point of like the dog. Why else does she need to have a dog, dude? Just to prove that she's living her best fucking life and she has a beautiful dog no, to greet her every so day. So she can get a big old pile of shit to put in Dutch's drawer. <laughs> I guess because he gets all the glory and they forget about her, too. Yeah, and you know what? Mackie would not hesitate for one to brag about doing that. Mackie is not going to lie to Dutch about shitting in his desk. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. Next level. Claudette is so fantastic. She She's a badass, man. I love her voice and her mannerisms. She's magnetic on screen for like, I don't know why. I mean, 
she kind of has this like physical energy where like she's not stooped, but she's not as tall as like a lot of the other characters, but people like listen to her and they kind of like are drawn to her. And so I loved her performance. I think she's a really cool actress. I've seen her in like a couple other things, but I would love to see her in more. She's good in everything. CC Pounder, CCH Pounder. I never heard of that. She's like a really cool character actress. Like she'll just show up in like some TV shows and she always kills it. Like I love her. She She's a good MVP, Jimbo. She is. I think what it is is that she, all her lines are just perfectly stated, but not in a cocky way, but in a matter of fact, just her truth bombs are too strong. It's too much. I love it. I'm shook on the poop though. Yeah, we're, we we are going to talk about Mackie more. Yeah. And because he he hogged all the summary, but we haven't really talked about him much yet. He's cocky, and he says show off. Claudette is none of those things. Claudette's not trying to show off. She's not trying to impress anyone. She's not trying to make people think she's smart. Dutch Dutch wants respect from everyone. He, does, he gets none. Mackie's a show off. He wants to be cool. Everyone thinks he's cool. Claudette, she's just... She's just trying to do the right thing. She's just trying to be a good cop. And so she's not going to waste any time or words on any nonsense. But Claudette is also like a, it doesn't matter what profession, Claudette is a veteran of like whatever profession she's in. She like, she has her head down. She's career oriented. She knows when to pick a fight. She knows when like, it doesn't matter who gets the credit. You just got to get the job done. She probably also knows when to get credit, like when it's important for her to shine. So, I mean, she just kind of seems like the savvy vet, whatever work situation or situation you're in. She just kind of seems get it. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, she's probably just knows exactly what she needs to do to retire the minute she can and collect her check and live with her beautiful dog and probably a beautiful man who knows or woman. I don't know. I want to know more about her. I want spoilers. Keep watching. Keep watching. You should keep watching. I'd like to seg into my MVP because my MVP is very Claudette related. And the reason it's Claudette related is what I really found to be strong about this show were the very authentic workplace dynamics and the way that the interactions between the characters built them up as credible characters. One way that I appreciated the workplace dynamics was the way that Dutch, Mackie, and Claudette interact with each other and the way and the way Mackie interacts with Aceveda in small ways. Um, when Dutch is like complaining to the whole freaking office, he's like, okay, who did it? Fess up. I'm like, Dutch, <laughs> oh, you're being an idiot right now. Like it was it was funny, but it was also like there are assholes like that at work who are like Dude, like putting passive aggressive notes on ding dongs. <laughs> yeah, on your ding dongs is not the way to like take care of that shit, man. Like stop being passive aggressive with your notes at work. And that's real. And you don't necessarily see that in a lot of cop dramas. I very much liked when Aceveda was like telling Mackie to do his paperwork. And Mackie's like, I'll get to it later because I don't want to make everything about teaching. But I saw so many like people I work with in those areas because like principals only have so much power to get you to do what they want you to do. And like, that's a lot of bosses, you know, like you have to motivate as well as, you know, like crack the whip. And so I think it's very real that Mackie's like, you'll get my reports when they get done. Cause you have a lot of, you know, perceived power, but your institutional power or your actual power is not as great as you think it is. So I thought Mackie acknowledging that was a great interaction between the two that really set up their characters and their dynamic and in a quick, but effective way. And not only does Mackie say, like, no, I'm not going to do it. He even changes his mind. He says, you know what? I forgot. It's going to be a week now. 
It's like, <laughs> like don't call me out in front of everyone. Because you know who won that battle? Mackie. Mackie won that battle. That's just like when a teacher calls out a student in front of everyone in class and the student's just like, fuck you, teacher. <laughs> like, that's exactly what happened in that one. Yeah. Dude, it's it's perceived versus actual power. And, like, Mackie has actual power and Aceveda has perceived power because Claudette is sitting there with Aceveda and Aceveda is trying to get some real shit. And Claudette is like, I don't know you. Like, you're my new boss. Like, I'll be here when you're gone. Yeah. So I'm not going to tell you the shit you want to hear. Yeah. Uh, or she's like, I'm not going to agree with you because I think that's a dumb idea. And she says that basically. So like, too I real. love Claudette. She's too real. It's also how you treat your new boss. You're like, I'm going to keep my distance until I figure out who you are. Because if I align myself with you too early and you suck, I'm going to be screwed. She's not aligned to anyone, though. Yeah, that's a good that's a good move that vets make. Yeah, exactly. She knows better than to start taking sides. She's just, like you said, been here, done that. Let's do this. Let's solve some crimes. Fuck all these white people. (laughs) 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 Really, though, respect. When Claudette gets Dutch's back with the ding-dongs, like, because Dutch is like, he took my ding-dongs. Claudette's like, give him back. And then then Dutch goes one step too far. (laughs) And Claudette's like, shut the fuck up. Like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> that was a good scene the ding dong scene was funny uh that was so much claudette but that was so much just like real too i loved it mo what's your mvp since i'm always the last one to watch the pilot you all always take my mvps so can i can i pick claudette too yeah for sure yeah man. yeah totally we all we all had joey that's true did and listeners, Mo's going to be the first one to announce her MVP last next next week. We're not going to diss her <laughs> so we don't steal it. <laughs> I mean, she's just so good. I can't. She's the only person I genuinely, at by the end of that episode, I was still respected start to finish. She's the only one that I still felt that way about at the end. So Claudette was just such, such a strong character, held to her morals, her get shit done attitude. I just loved her. MVP, Claudette. And I, I think I already talked a lot when, when Jimbo, you picked her. So, And at the center of all of those in the workplace or whatever, I mean, she was there for most of those, the best one. Yeah, exactly. She she was the funniest part of a lot yeah. of those. But she was intentionally in the biggest parts of the show. She, like, she's there for a reason. She's a legit MVP in a show with a lot of high points and a lot of candidates for MVP. And now, listeners, we are going to move on to dangling threads. And we, man, do we got some serious stuff to dangle here. There are some dangly threads. So where to start? Listeners, a high point and overlooked topic so far in our analysis has been Vic Mackey and him being an anti-hero. Vic Mackey and the anti-hero dynamic was in my high points, but because we, we want to talk about this to more in depth, we decided to move it to the dangling threads. But it is very intentional that Vic Mackey kills a member of his team in that first episode. They very you know they could have saved it for the second episode, but they want it to be very clear in that first episode that Mackey is an anti-hero. He is not your typical hero. This guy has very conflicting morals, as we mentioned to you in the summary. He cheats on his wife openly. He has a weird relationship with a prostitute. He's stealing money from from criminals. And he's interrogating, not just interrogating, but he is is using torture to interrogate someone. So, I mean, Vic Mackey is an anti-hero. And 
I feel like he was a very much a high point. And I have and I have more to say about that as well, but I'm but I'm gonna let Mo continue from here. So an anti-hero is a protagonist in a story who lacks conventional heroic qualities and attributes such as idealism, courage, and morality. So we know which one Mackie lacks. <laughs> I guess he's courageous though. No, he doesn't lack any courage. Yeah, no, he has no shortage of courage. Uh, he seems to be really comfortable threatening that black drug dealer with yes. his three friends right yeah, behind him so... and making him drop his pants. So, well, he he seems to always have a bunch of dudes with guns backing him up when he's very courageous. Interpret it as you will. I think, uh, yeah. I don't know how to call it. His whole vibe Just of being called it out, man. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what it was, but his what he represented in in his the way he was present the way he acted in the very first scene um with that it was a black dude right it was a black dude duh okay just some criminal yeah just some criminal dude it, but there wasn't any context before that right it no, just started but, like opening scene like chase scene yeah yeah they just find this dude some dude was eating drugs running and eating drugs it just sets the tone already and here's this white vigilante cop versus this dumb criminal like it was just that very stereotypical dynamic too where he he immediately came off as cocky and pig-headed and and then when he goes so far as to he finally catches up to this criminal that he's chasing and pulls down this dude's underwear in front of like a building of apartments and i'm pretty sure kids were in that scene were they not little kids I think there were. There's definitely people around. There's yeah. Uh, yeah. Kids, kids, kids are playing nearby, if not watching. Totally. And so he pulls his his drawers like down to his ankles, so his dick's hanging out, and he ripped the drugs that were duct taped to his balls. Which I don't have balls, but I imagine that that must have been painful. I had that as my low point, but then we wanted to keep it talk about this in this later in the dangling threads because there was an obvious, you know, there was a lot of racial implications in that having that be the very first scene. And in creating that dynamic of white is right and, you know, black and brown are just dumb criminals that will eventually be caught by this white vigilante cop and then have their balls exposed. It was just kind of humiliating it to to a, an uncomfortable ex- extent. But then but then it also conflicted with, you know, Acevedo being this Latino higher up dude. It's like, OK, Black and brown people were in high and low places in that first scene, but Vic was came off strong as the antihero, and as like I said, like some white vigilante cop. So Mo, would you, how would you fix that o- that opening scene, or or do you think its representation is accurate? I mean, I I think it's accurate to an extent. I don't know enough about police forces and how many you know black men or Latino men or Asian men actually make it to whatever position or status Vic is at I don't know but I mean his entire team were all white and I and I I can't speak to if if there are teams out there that or that have a a diverse task force or whatever I would say that the shield demographics is probably an accurate representation of a police station in LA yeah maybe from county to county you might get some some uh, differences Drew you are uh just waiting to chime in I want to comment on Mo's comment in two ways. And the first way is I think that our perspective or maybe the majority of people's perspective has shifted from like 2002 as an opening scene to being way more uncomfortable with that in 2018. 
like maybe in 2002 that was supposed to be like whoa look how rough and tumble this cop is and look how he's like you know taking this guy down a notch what a shitty drug dealer and oh his buddies are laughing at it during the time and maybe it was played as a positive scene maybe in 2018 we're just some of us who should have been more sensitive to it in 2002 are more sensitive to it now being like that's kind of fucked up that like yeah, that guy's a drug dealer, but like pulling his pants down and ripping it off his balls, like that seems to be unnecessarily humiliating. And that guy's probably going to hate the police and white people for like the rest of his life. And that's probably not helping, you know, that neighborhood for this cop to like shit on him like that. But by the end of the show, Mo, I don't think, I think that like you can look back at that, that particular moment as an indication of Vic. Yes. Like at the end of the episode, I think that it's great that. I had forgotten that there's a shot of Vic looking down at Crowley dying. Like Crowley is alive and he's bleeding out and he's bleeding his last breath. He was alive? He breathes. Watch the last frame again. Like there's blood pooling. Yeah, the very last scene is through his eyes. Yeah, and it's through his scene. And like Vic just looks at him like he's looking at a lizard in a cage. You know, and that's so cold and that's so creepy. And then like if you go back, you're like, well... You know, he totally like pulled down that guy's pants in the public park and like he was weird and crazy that way too. So, and he tortured a dude to like get him to admit to something. So, I mean, I think that it all builds a picture that if you were to watch it again with the knowledge of what happens in the last scene, the first scene is definitely disturbing in and of its own right. So, I mean, I think again, like we react to it poorly, but isn't that what the director wants? I think both of your reactions is exactly what the director wants. They're not in a white neighborhood and there's four white guys chasing down a black guy and then they pull his pants down and they degrade him. I might come off as a, as a white guy viewer, but the guy who's a drug dealer and he had drugs hidden. So, I mean, they're doing their job. And I think, and I think that's the other thing too is yeah, these guys are dicks. Mackie and his team are a bunch of assholes, but they're good at their job. And I think that's that's the main anti-hero dynamic that it's setting up. Like these guys, this guy is a terrible person, but he's good at his job as well. But I mean, part of his job is being a part of the community, you know, and like degrading the people who live in that community doesn't make things easier for other cops. And the guy's a drug dealer, but, you know, he has rights. And one of those rights is probably not to be like, you know, dragged naked through a neighborhood that he lives in and that Mackie's in the suburbs, like when he's like, you know, flipping burgers and shit. So, you know, Mackie's not making it easier for cops or the people who live in that neighborhood. Yeah. And to even build off of that, there is that scene where there's a human rights lawyer who brings in yeah that other drug dealer with the bruising on his arms and saying that, that Mackie used excessive force where again, like, yeah, he's this anti-hero. Yeah, he's just getting the job done at any means possible. But he's also part of this greater, like, systemic racial injustice. You know, he's he's a part of that problem. He's a part of the institution. And and I felt that even from the first scene. And then and, and when they brought in that, the scene with the lawyer and his client, who, yeah, he is a drug dealer. But that doesn't give make him any less human. That doesn't make him any less entitled to his basic rights, which are not to be like excessively beat tortured like it's just like or tortured i mean all of those things i completely agree with both of you i'm saying is that a lot of viewers are going to watch that and that their perspective is going to be like so what like he's he's doing his job at least and i think that's why the directors wanted it to be that way like that's like that's why it's it's intentional yeah but i'll give the director credit i mean 
I think the director is leaving a trail of breadcrumbs for you to see. Yes. And at the time, they want you to like get behind Mackie so hardcore that when you see the last shot of the, the episode, you're like, fuck, I got to watch the next show. Exactly. You know, like, but like the signs are there, but we interpret them in a different way until we watch the last scene. And then you're like, oh, he's a very sick human being. But there's plenty of clues. I mean, there's plenty of clues. There are plenty of clues, but I wonder if he had killed even him killing that drug dealer in cold blood. I guess the drug dealer shot back. But I wonder if how cold it would feel if he had done that to the drug dealer, if the drug dealer hadn't shot back. If the audiences would still be as, I don't know, shook by by how cold he, this guy really is and how far he is willing to go to uphold whatever he thinks makes society safe and right and, and balanced. The reason Mackie kills kills the two people at the very last scene, his his new partner and the drug dealer, that's self-preservation. He knows that his partner's a rat, and that's why he kills him. And the reason they kill the drug dealer is because that's a witness that could say that they killed their partner. So those people die so that he can save his ass. Well, but no, he also picked up the drug dealer's gun that had already been fired and then used that gun to kill Crowley. To kill Crowley, exactly. To save his ass. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why that guy's dead. They didn't necessarily kill him because he's a drug dealer. They killed him because he's a witness to them about to kill their partner. Like he probably, he went into that already having plotted that. Yes, of course. Oh yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't normally kill that guy just for being a drug dealer. Yeah. Or, or he would just keep taking that guy's money. No, exactly. They needed to have a shootout. Man, Mackie is so complicated. It's, it's a good show. I I wish I got to know his family a little bit more in the first episode, but. Keep watching. Yeah, you do. His family becomes a big part of it. Whew. Vic Mackey. Man, we, we talked about him. Anyway, back to the racial implications of the shield. Um, I'm good. I said my part. I think we covered the racial implications. Do we want to talk about, do you think it's a stretch to talk about vigilantism or should we move on to interrogation? Well, I think we can thread those two together because my issue with vigilantism and interrogation go together. Can I, can I drop this one? Go for it. Cool. So we talked a little bit about the expedient storytelling and the story falling apart. And it fell apart a little bit quicker for me because as soon as Mackie goes in and starts to torture him, I'm just like, torture doesn't work. We found out torture doesn't work. Uh, this show becomes very much of its time because I just feel like there was a time around 2001, 2002 where like 24 was very popular and all of these heroes would just like interrogate slash torture people to get the next bit of information and for a long time it was like a really a super moral gray area because people were actually being tortured you know waterboarded at the same time and so it was a new type of hero like a post 9-11 hero who was doing all this torturing to get the facts that they needed to like solve the crime and get the bad guy without dealing with bullshit like rights and so that kind of really brought me back to be like uh this show is very much of its time people still think that today though I know, but is that because of shows like this, which people are like, yeah, but it worked with this one. And I'm like, that's a television show. I don't know why. I don't know why. People just devalue other people's like basic rights if they commit a crime. Let's just pretend that interrogation did work. Would you support it if it worked? Torture. Interrogation or, or torture? Tortured. Let's just ignore the part that like it's not effective, that like it's proven to be not effective. No. Um, no. Yeah, I would say no just because 
I think moral authority matters and bothers me if like my country is doing horrible things for us to then tell another country to not do other horrible things. Like I'd rather, you know, my country retain moral authority by not doing those things and then doing other things like reports from 2014 do talk about how there are ways to get intelligence and there are ways to get information. And it's not exactly like Dutch hanging out with that dude all night, but it's not what, you know, Mackie did with the freaking screwdriver and the whiskey and shit. Yeah, because because there is a huge assumption be, being made. If you're going to torture someone in this scene, and and we can maybe talk about in, in other contexts as well, but when, when they call Mackie in, Aceveda has already assumed that this guy knows the answer to where the girl is. Let's say that let's say that junkie number one was full of shit and got the wrong guy. And let's say that pedophile number one just wanted to go home, so he gave up some other dude just because he wanted you know to get a lawyer. He wanted to move on to the next process of this. So I mean, like they are assuming that this person has the correct answer. What it, like at what point do you stop torturing him when he's dead? When he gives you fifteen addresses that all ended up not having a little girl at them? So I mean, like it's that's that that I felt was the the expedient storytelling because obviously in the context of the story, he has to know where the girl is because you have to solve that case. Like this, like this is not a case that's going to make it to episode two, right? And then it's also it's it's showing to what I also talked about earlier as well. It's showing that Mackie gets a job done, but he does it in a way that is questionable. That's the biggest problem in torture is you have to assume that the person actually has the right answer. And if you don't know the right answer, you have no idea of knowing when they're telling you the truth. Yeah. Because even like a lie detector test, like the like there's a reason people don't use lie detector tests. Well, because they've been disproven by like statistical data. Yeah. And the things that they thought prove that like, you know, you're lying are like, very hard to measure those things and and you can learn how to pass a lie detector test very easily in like probably 30 minutes i'm going to ask you a hypothetical how would you feel about using quote-unquote truth serums how would you feel about using truth serums if they existed like drugging people i mean there are certain drugs out there that make you pretty uninhibited with your secrets i'll i'll comment first and then i'll give drew a chance i would i would consider those as problematic as a lie detector. All it tells you is like this question gives that person some anxiety. It doesn't tell you that they're lying. And you can maybe, maybe there is a correlation between having high anxiety and lying, but it doesn't tell you that someone's actually absolutely lying. And I feel like a drug serum, yeah, a drug serum might inhibit someone, some part of someone's brain that might make them tell the truth more often. But you know what? It might just, uh, in other people, it might not. So, I mean, like, what would you really be measuring? And I'll just add one thing. If it was a perfect world and we could somehow know 100% that it was effective, then yeah, sure, let's use it. But I just don't see that world ever existing. Uh, I would want to know about physical side effects. Well, I guess it's all about consent. If someone doesn't want to reveal something to you, no matter what you do, you're going to violate them somehow. I don't know. I guess if I knew there were no physical side effects and it would wear off in an hour and someone would just tell the truth... Maybe I'd be okay with that, but it kind of feels like something that would make you uninhibited enough to like not guard yourself from like telling someone who wants to like prosecute you about the thing that will make it easy for you to go away for life. That would seem to take away a lot of your, I don't know, like yourself or your own self-defenses. So maybe you'd be in a super vulnerable position if 
a true serum is real. Yeah, you have the right to remain silent. <laughs> or they might even decide to ask you questions about something else that's irrelevant to what they were supposed to be asking you about. Or they might suggest that you did this thing, and if you're in a highly suggestible state, I don't know. What's your answer, Mo? I go I go two ways where if if it doesn't cause physical harm and we can be sure in like in a perfect world, ten out of ten times this is gonna work. Or even even ninety nine out of ten. I would say go for it. Nine out of ten? That's one out of ten chances it's not gonna work and you're gonna put someone away or something for the wrong reason. Yeah, if it was for a pedophile, yeah, I would do it. So ten percent of people accused of pedophilia are gonna go away or be wrongly accused. <laughs> To get the nine. No, no, it's not. No, you just said nine out of ten, Mo. That's exactly what nine out of ten means. I know. Okay, wait. <laughs> but the thing is, this is just to extract information on other things that you can essentially find out if they're right or not. So if you, okay. you're going to be wrong about just the piece of information. Oh. oh, my God. Mo, our criminal justice system will get so lazy and only rely on that truth serum. Yeah. <laughs> I bet our criminal justice system now is probably close to nine out of ten. So are, are you saying that, that, what, that what we... Really? Who knows? Probably. Really? I think it's worse than that. I think it's way worse than that. Oh, I do not think it's 9 out of 10. You think there's more than 1 out of 10 people wrongly accused? Yeah. Oh, I would be very surprised. Listeners, if any of you actually know this data, flop it on a comment on our website. That would be great. Yeah, come on. There's got to be a lawyer too listening. All right, well, yeah, so I, I bumped hard on the torture. I was just deciding on... Whether I would or not, because injecting somebody with drugs is a violation of their human rights if they don't consent to it. But if there's no physical side effects and you're not flinging their nails off like pogs, torturing them into into giving you whatever you want to hear. Yes, that's and that's the key. It's not it's not torturing until you get the truth. It's torturing until you get what you're wanting, which is a big difference. Well, it's mostly it's just torture until the person says what they think will stop the torture. Well, until they say what stops the torture, not what they think. It doesn't matter what you think. Well, I mean, they can only give you what they think will stop the torture. No, yes, exactly. Until it actually, until they actually give you the right one. Yeah. If I was going to be tortured and I knew I was going to be tortured, I would just straight up say, tell me what you want me to say and I'll just say <laughs> it right now. I'll sign any piece of paper you want. Like, we don't need to do this torture thing. That's what I would say. Dude, if I were torturing you, I, would be, I wouldn't believe anything you said, Jimbo. I'll be like, I'm going to torture you just to make sure. I feel like you'll say anything I want you to say. Well, then I will. I'll let them know. Turn the cameras on. What do you want me to say? Yeah. Then like, wait, then why Why are you valuable as an asset? Wouldn't they just get rid of you? Probably, but that's, I'm just saying, if someone, if Mackie came into the room with pliers in a, in a newspaper and whatever else he had with them, I would just say, dude, I'll tell you whatever you want, man. What do you want to know? Any more dangling threads? So listeners, we we had briefly discussed this, but but Claudette alludes to the fact that people don't care if you have a dirty cop as long as the crime rates go down. And so I was going to throw this to Mo and Drew and see what is what is your stance? And I know we briefly kind of touched on it, but but what is your stance with someone like like a Vic Mackey, but let's say they actually are effective. Like, like let's just let's just assume that he is a good cop and that crime is significantly improved with having him on the job. How do we feel about that? Yes. I would question part of your definition of effective because it seems like, yes, Vic, well, I mean, he decreases 
the symptoms of crime and the symptoms of a crumbling community, but he doesn't really address like the causes. Let's say the world, let's say LA is a safer place with Vic Mackey and his team out there doing their thing. Safer for who? For everyone, for people in the community. Let's say, let's say you have less chance of getting shot, robbed, Right. Or your kids being sold drugs. I would say it wouldn't decrease it totally. Let's say if you if you fire Vic Mackey or you put him in prison, that there's going to be more drugs sold to kids. There's going to be a higher chance of getting robbed, and there's going to be a higher chance of of being uh you know violence being committed against you. Well, then you're asking me to choose between freedom and security, sure. and you're asking me between what's easy and what's right, and I'll choose what's right, which is freedom. I would want them off. Okay. You have to believe those things even when it's hard, or else, I mean, beliefs are fun to have until someone tests you on them. Mo, what's your stance? So you would keep Mackie around? Is that what you said? Drew would not. No, I would want him off the streets. Yeah, I mean... People often have to choose between freedom and security. And I mean, I just think that morals and beliefs are tested in times of duress. That's when you find out what your morals and beliefs are. Like the people I think have a lot more of those when things are easier, not stressful or comparatively safe. I think the reason I would agree with you, Drew, is because I'm thinking long term Somebody like him in the way he acts is not sustainable. So it might provide like a temporary period of security of from violence and all of those things. But I think that there would be a time where that all would come crashing down hard. Okay, well, let's just say for sake of argument that there wasn't. Would that change your mind? So let's just say that the world's a better place if you leave Vic Mackey to do his job until he retires. And then you replace it with someone just like him. But then you're still not, you're still solving the problem that's like creating the inequalities that create the conditions for there to be a necessity for being a Vic Mackey. Nope, you're not going to solve that. You're just going to. Yeah, but there are studies that show that creating safer em- environments and communities can promote, you know, better outcomes for. Yeah, for sure. Generations that grow up in those communities. I have a, I don't know. That's really tough, Jimbo. I want to pick the. I want to pick what's right. I want to pick what's right. I just. I don't think those two things exist. No, that's. I mean, we're just. We're just picking a. The, we're creating a theoretical situation that'll never exist, Drew. Just. Just for the sake of conversation. Yeah, but I'm saying I. I don't think that. I don't think the character Vic exists in that theoretical situation. Because I think he exists because of the environment that's there, that he can exist in that environment. But if you took away all of those things, then people would notice what he does. Okay, fine. If you took away all those things, we wouldn't need cops. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that what you're saying, basically? No, I don't think that's what I'm saying. No, he's saying we need like this ultimate barbaric cop. I'm saying, would you justify a Vic Mackey cop if it made your neighborhood safer? Um, No, because I'm hoping that the regular cops make my neighborhood safe. Yeah. Well, you already answered and, and Mo oh, didn't. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Never mind. I misunderstood. <laughs> Edit me down. <laughs> this is not a good week for, for Drew okay. having like little, little valleys between his hills. Lots of hills. 
Yeah. <laughs> Mo, um, Mo, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and disagree with Drew. I do not value freedom. I could care less about freedom. I would rather <laughs> people people be in a safer environment. And if a few if a few people have to pay that price, then I'm okay with that. A few for the for the greater good. I would sacrifice a few for the good of the many. I mean, there is there is no right answer to this. No, there is no right answer. No. Say yeah. Let's fuck it. Let's let it all burn. Let's let let's let Vic go, go ham. <laughs> and if and if it makes you know and if it makes us happy, like we can we can have a little more colorful Vic team. That would make me feel more inclined to say yes to that situation. Also, Drew, would you change your mind if we if we had if we had a more dynamic um, group? You know, we had we had maybe Claudette was on the group. Someone <laughs> like Claudette, obviously Claudette would not be part of this group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if Claudette, yeah, a Claudette wouldn't be Claudette if she were in the group, or maybe Claudette was in the group twenty years ago and she sees how that foolishness is going to go down because she's the only surviving member of that group. But yeah, yeah, I think Claudette could be an efficient anti anti hero to Vic. Maybe her own approach to so- solving crime and doing whatever it is Vic is trying to do. Maybe maybe that's a better way to go. Maybe we should get Claudette in the mix. Oh, I agree. If we could get a Claudette to get the same results as as Vic Mackey in my theoretical world, I would much rather yeah. have Claudette. I'm just I'm just posing like a more extreme situation. I'm not saying that situation exists. And Drew's trying to trying to you know he, he's focusing ground. too much on the on the or no or on the like impracticalness of my of my theoretical situation, which I agree it's not right. practical at all. It's fair. Edit edit it down. But this thought experiment. It's yeah, fine. You know, I'm I'm okay with my decisions. <laughs> and once again, no, I'm okay with your decisions too. I value your decision. I just right, disagree with fair. it. I think I think these threads are dangled. Yeah, I think so right. too. So now we are one step away from the moment we've all been waiting for, <laughs> and we are at the watch or rewatch. So, and since I'm talking, I'll just roll with it. I'd say this is a very strong rewatch. Even though I've seen this show a lot of times, I'm not going to start rewatching it tomorrow. But this is definitely a show that, like like Earl, that I will come back to at some point. Um, I think I'm going to rewatch tonight mostly. I was I was going to recommend wow. a rewatch, but then not do a rewatch, which always bothers me because that seems hypocritical. But I'm going to do like a tonight rewatch because I think Lamar might be in the next episode. And um, it was a good first episode, so I'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch Lamar tonight. He's gonna I'm kind of super sick, so I've been quarantined to the basement, so I have nothing better to do. <laughs> and I cannot confirm whether he's back in episode two or not, but I know he does come back at some. I guess point. I'm watching episode three as well. <laughs> Maybe yeah. Mo, you have not watched, so are you gonna watch this show? Yeah, I would totally watch it. I. Don't have a lot of time, but eventually I want to watch this. But because I'm scared, I'm scared to keep to start it. It's gonna spiral. It feels like the kind of show that keeps you spiraling. Oh, oh it's dude. gonna suck you in, Mo. Be- yes, yes, it's very addictive, man. Yeah, it's super. Addictive. Yeah, I don't have time for that. I can say that I I would put it right there with Lost. Like I skipped a lot of classes because of the Shield and because of Lost. <laughs> my my liver is a little grateful to the shield because I'm pretty sure I skipped out on nights of binge drinking because I was a little more interested in watching the shield while I was in my party phase in college as well. So you heard it here first, folks. 
Starting next week, we are a episode-by-episode The Shield recap. Also a good idea. That's it. We just switched all of it. I do. So it is It is the point that you have all been waiting for. Mo, to hoist or not to hoist? I am not hoisting this pilot. I think it's very clear that I very much enjoyed it. It was a fresh break also from all the other pilots that we've been watching. Young, pretty white people. Agreed. Into a nice detective drama and some realness and some Angelino life. Um, so, yes, not hoisting. There's no way you're going to hoist a show with the raging nostalgia boner I had. <laughs> so, not hoist. Indeed. Joining the crowd on this one. Uh, this is a solid not hoist. And this is this is in my my top two to three pilots we've done thus far. This is a strong pilot and a good show. I agree. It's it's going to be interesting when we finally try and figure out the top pilot. And the Shield is going to be competing with the likes of X Men, My Name Is Earl, One Punch Man, and Wonder Years. That's a murderer's row. <laughs> Those are all pilots that that beckon you to watch the next episode. Just come on. The next one's so good. You got me, The Shield. You got me. By unanimous decision, not hoisted, The Shield. Do the theme music, Jimbo. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. That's it. All right. So, uh, Mo, Jimbo, what's on the Patardar this week? I just have one. The film... Training Day. If anyone has not seen it, please go see it. It is so damn good. Good choice. And Denzel is an anti-hero I could get behind. Yeah, very very much a Mackie-like character. Very much so. Oh, yes. But he's a black man from the neighborhood, so he's more legitimate in my eyes. Fair. <laughs> and it's Denzel. Yeah. And it's it Denzel. It is Denzel. I mean, really, though. And is Denzel not playing Denzel? Because yes, Denzel can just nice. be Denzel in a lot of movies, and it's awesome. I'll pay for that. But this is like Denzel being a bad guy. Yeah, he's so good in this. This whole this film, Training Day is such a good fucking movie. I want to watch it now. This made me want to watch Training Day, really. You can watch Training Day anywhere. Really? No, just and I mean anywhere in the movie, and then just be like, I got to watch <laughs> oh. the rest of this movie. I was like, I don't think it's on Hulu or Netflix. Oh, no. I have no idea where it is. I'm just saying like Training Day is like pick upable from any point in the narrative. So that's that's on my petardar. How about you two? Uh, there's this show I desperately want us to review eventually. Maybe I'll get my mom to write a review so I can get her to sneak it in. <laughs> Collusion. <I am> justified. <laughs> it's uh, this show about Kentucky uh, Rangers. Not Rangers. Yeah, I guess they are Rangers. Um, cause they transport, they transport convicts across state lines and the second in command, like Vic Mackey's Weasley sidekick, uh, Walton Goggins, uh, he is a true star by the end of the shield. Like he's definitely like the second most compelling person behind Vic in justified. He's like a full fledged counter lead. He's, he's kind of an anti-hero. Um, maybe he's the head antagonist of Justified, but I love the pilot and he's awesome in it. And he's awesome in this show from like season, probably season one on. He just doesn't do anything in the pilot, but he's good in a lot of things. So I've, I have three things on my Patardar and I'm, and I'm going to say that the wire 
is definitely one. It gives you a little bit more of a dynamic. You're you're a little bit closer to the to the villains, but you're also going to seek the the a strong anti-hero in the wire. And the anti-hero is kind of the theme in most of my recommendations. True Detective, I think, is also a very interesting season one. Um, I didn't waste my time with season two, and I think that's probably what everyone else did as well. But True Detective, you have some detectives. They're not quite anti-heroes, but it's they have some anti-hero qualities, and it's a very intense cop drama. And then my last one, I think maybe the king of anti-heroes in in a uh, television Dexter and Dexter I have I have my complaints with Dexter as a series but Dexter is a very awesome anti-hero and I think the dynamic between Vic Mackey and Dexter in that first episode we're like oh my god this guy is a terrible person but you know what I kind of like him is very strong I forgot about Dexter nice next week listeners Drew and I are going to record a special ranking of all the pilots we have watched thus far. So we will discuss, argue, and rank 1 to 12 the 12 pilot episodes that we have reviewed with Pilots and Petards. The following week, we will be back with Mo, and we will look at Friday Night Lights. All right, and if you want to know about what shows we have upcoming, go ahead and click on the link or go to our website. It has all of our following weeks. And remember, if you want us to review a pilot that you love, go on to Apple iTunes, write us a review, five-star preferably, four-stars acceptable. You know, just let us know what you think of this show, and at the very end say, this is the pilot I want you guys to watch. In our uh, jam sesh, the old shop talk, we have a, a, a review to read this week, so we'll get to that. Mo, how about our plugs? So, Pilots and Petard's official closing music is an instrumental Entheos remix of Alive. Official ad background music has been mixed by Jake Drew. And please remember you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or join our Facebook group. Listeners, if you would like to continue any of these conversations or if you would like to argue with your co-hoister that loves to argue Jimbo, go to our website, Pilots and Petard, spelt out, A-N-D, or you can just search us. Yep, and if you want to bypass that internet search engine and go straight to Twitter, as some of you like to do, we are Pilots and Petards. So that's at Pilots, the letter N, Petards. And uh, we post our episodes we put up some comments about how my wife feels about the shows tori has given up on dawson's creek she read the wikipedia entry for season six and she was like meh so if you want to know what else tori's watching or what emma thinks about these shows we're on twitter at pilots and petards and obviously we're also on instagram with at pilots letter n petards um, please follow us. This last week we reached over a hundred followers, so help us get to two hundred. Woo! Yeah. And if you're a Facebooker, you can join our Facebook group, Pilots and Petards Facebook group. Yep. Rebecca left us a lovely note after her episode, so dilly dilly, you know, just pop on over, leave us a note, tell us what you think about us, you know, reviewing dilly, the art you, you love. And this week, we have a review. I finally convinced my beautiful anonymous girlfriend to write us a review. And Drew's going to read it for us. Oh, man. That's who it is. Oh, I know your anonymous girlfriend. 
All right, the podcast that keeps getting better. This one's from Saturday. Five stars by Miss Nameless. Only one S in Nameless. Dude, that's that's a French. Okay, okay? that's that's Miss Nameless. Oh, what's that mean? In, what's that mean in English, Shimbo? Well, it, you can't translate every last name in French to to English. I guess it, I guess it probably closely translates to nameless in English, but um. Miss Nameless. Yeah. <laughs> Monsieura? From Monsieura. Yeah. From. Wait, what's. What's. Madame, there it is. Do any of us speak French? I sure don't. Merci. From Madame Namless. Terrific podcast. No, I won't do that. Terrific <laughs> yeah, podcast. Sounded too Russian. Anyways. Everyone should take a listen. I doubted the value of the show because I never watched most of the shows whose pilots they chose to analyze. But the co-hoisters are amusing and do a great job keeping you entertained throughout the episodes. The delightful Mo is definitely a noteworthy addition to the podcast team. The discussion and conversation seem less scripted, and I enjoy the camaraderie of three Peace Corps friends. Even you guys seem to be having more fun with it. I look forward to future episodes, especially if you choose to cast judgment on one of my current favorite shows, This Is Us. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Miss Namales. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited to do This Is Us. And Drew, pretty much uh, Miss Namales said we sucked before we got Mona on board, which I guess is fine. <laughs> That's 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 a matter of opinion, Miss. That's right, girl. That's right, Madame Namales. We did have a solid X Men and Wonder Years episode. Yeah, that was us hitting our stride, and then and then who knows what those episodes would have been with? Those Mo. would have been great episodes with Mo. We'll never know. We'll never know. Never know. We'll never know, Mo. <laughs> Damn, I'm flattered, and so excited to do this. Is us? Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, that's going to be week. That's going to be episode eighteen. So we still have a few weeks ahead of us, but we will get there, and that's going to be a good one. That will be. Good. I know we're really giving Dilly a big chunk of this right now. Dilly. Oh well, at the at the time we didn't have a lot of reviews, and so Dilly <laughs> just wrote a, a standout review. We had to res- give I'm him sure respect. He deserves it. And and he had some good shows on his review. He requested like ten things. So, yeah. You know, we each we each chose one. I'm pretty stoked about Friday Night Lights. I am excited to watch Friday Night Lights. Clear eyes. Big heart. What? Can't lose. Wait, it's, it's clear eyes. Big hearts. Heart. It's full hearts. Full hearts. There you go. Can't lose. Yep. Yep. Oh, man. I'm going to have a lot of feelings and emotions. Oh, so good. Listeners, if you can't tell from the music, the show is officially over. But if you love us as much as we love us, we're going to stick around for maybe 12 more minutes. Bam. It's 1230 for me. It's the jam sesh. It's the jam sesh. I know, I know B-Mills lives for these these jam sashes, but... <laughs> he was the first one to criticize the Shop Talk 1.0. And he's he's really loving Shop Talk 2.0 jam sesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mo, if you want to know what Miss Namales thought of our terrible episodes, if you listen to a heavily edited down talk about teachers and teacher compensation and teacher pay from the Glee episode, those are probably the, the dark times from the long, long ago that Miss Namales doesn't want us to think about. Oh. Yeah, the real, the, the very scripted us just reading our notes to each other. <laughs> hey, episode one will never be released. Like, when we hit the Patreon goal of, like, $2,000 a month subscribers, we'll think about releasing the terribleness that is the uh, the pilot of our pilot show. I still... 
Yeah, there's still just a fresh wave of hypocrisy every time I think about the fact that we won't release the pilot. But I don't want to because it's bad. Was it the West Wing? Yup. Hey, that was a good... I, I saw that pilot. It was good. It was a good pilot. Us talking about it was horrible. Horrible. Yeah. And the the weakest link of that of that talk was me. <laughs> <laughs> I... I've been much more prepared and much more on top of things since that show. It was so embarrassing listening to myself just fumble for words and be like, <laughs> it was bad, man. I told Drew, dude, we cannot share this now. <laughs> Wait, so bad. it's not on air? It's no. not live? No, our, our episodes on iTunes no, started episode two. Oh, man. Wait, who got to hear it? Who got to listen to it? A couple select very few yeah. viewers viewers listeners <laughs> listeners yeah <laughs> couple couple people who put up with it it was long it's good yeah faithful listener brian definitely got it my dad my sister my sister had lots of constructive criticism it also might be the only episode she listened to all the way through yeah that's that's why that's why she's not a listener <laughs> probably a lot of things she said made sense mo we had this thing on where like we had a petardar that had nothing to do with anything it was just stuff that we were into at that moment i actually like that i would i, I would bring that back if it was up if, if i ruled the world uh you were the one who didn't want us to have a two-hour podcast well that's fine but i mean yeah it was just that time where we could share whatever <sighs> we wanted to with the world i stand by my recommendation mo like kesha pandora station there's not a better pandora station for exercise hmm did you watch their Grammy performance last night? Oh my god. I heard about it. It was watch. so powerful. Oh. I cried. I'll find it on YouTube. You cried? It was just so powerful. It was her and like all these other women who, who were victims of sexual abuse and singing her song, which is like so beautiful and anthemic. And then, and she just like wanted to cry the whole song. And then at the end, she just like melted and her, all her little lady friends like caught her it was so it was too much kesha is so awesome and dr luke is such a piece of shit yeah he's probably still making music though oh because he's a scummy dj mode remember our conversation last week when you were like it's a dj character but he's a dick and i'm like oh that sounds like all the djs i ever hear about I don't know if Skrillex mm. is a DJ or a type of music. I'm an old person, Mo. Damn, this girl at our school has a Skrillex tattoo. And a Skrillex, like, stickers all over her laptop. So, so what's your stance on that? What's what's your stance on that, Mo? <laughs> she needs help. <laughs> nice. Do you have anything to say to her in case she's listening? <laughs> Skrillex girls yeah. are out there. Literally, I've never, I've only seen her once. And that once was enough. For me to understand, she needs help. Dang, I really hope. Mo, just when you stand up in all your classes to hoistle our show, be like, by the way, listen to my show, (laughs) pile some batards, we're on iTunes. If you are friends with that girl who has the Skrillex tattoo, do not let her listen to the (laughs) Shield episode, especially at the end when the music plays. Hey, Skrillex Skrillex girl is not going to listen to Shop Talk 2.0, so I'm not worried. Fuck her. She's a psycho. <laughs> nice. Oh man, that's a good one. And I tried to tell Drew, like, dude, you want to do an alias? And he was like, no. No, you cool. didn't. No, you <laughs> didn't. No, you didn't. That's not what we did at the beginning. That's not what you said. Oh, I asked you at some point. 
I know. Not I at the beginning. Not at the beginning. <laughs> I'm no. sure I brought it up, dude. Uh, I think you mentioned that you enjoyed the anonymity of your pseudonym, which is not the same thing as suggesting to me to get one. Uh, yeah, I wish we had a reference point, but that's fine. I mean, it's on... <laughs> wait, wasn't it on the pilot episode, maybe? Uh, we, were talk- we-, we had a lot of conversations leading, leading up to up, even the first yeah. show. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe we can't tell that one for sure. I, I do not recall that. I recall you being very happy that you had a pseudonym. For some reason, I do recall that, but okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, the other night when I got us to 100, I was drunk with a bunch of people, and I'm like, wait, guys, I'm at 98. Everyone get your phones out and add, add us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. I'll give whoever. Hey, I, guess, I, nice, I said I would give know? them a shout-out on the podcast, but I never... Well, I, I, sh- I gave them a shout out on Instagram. I, I tagged them in the photo. Yeah, that's good enough. That's good yeah. enough, Mo. Try not to promise shit like that's that fine. anymore. Okay, we, <laughs> we, we've already allowed our reviewers to pick our shows. We don't need to give them any more uh, influence over us, okay? They got plenty of influence. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure B, uh, Shrek Breath is waiting for his Shrek. postcard. He didn't give me a, a private message. He must have given it I to you. A private message. He texted me and told me great conclusion last episode. LOL. He's a he's a very supportive podcast listener. <laughs> Way to go, Shrek Breath. Brian, why don't you send me a private message and I will get you your postcard, sir. <laughs> nice. I sent it to the wrong co-hoister, obviously. So yeah. so I have my parents are officially watching Dawson's Creek oh and they like gosh. it. They love it. Every day we hoistling Jimbo out. Every day I'm hoistling Drew out. Jimbo, drop that EDM track. It wasn't on the last episode. I like to drop like a solid like 10 seconds after where you started. Every day we hoistling Mo out.